Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So I think one of the issues that divides parents the most, especially in recent years, is the issue of guns and gun ownership. There's an awful lot of people out there who own firearms. Um, They own them for a variety of reasons. Some may own a firearm because they live in a rural area. Um, So rural, in fact, that if they were to call the police, if they needed them, they know that the police wouldn't be there for 10 to 15 minutes. Then, of course, people who live in a rural setting also want to be able to defend themselves against wildlife. Um, If you live in the country, this is an actual reality. I think a lot of people who live in urban settings forget that. Um, And it's not just super rural areas. My parents live in the western section of Virginia. Um, it, It is a more rural area, but they live in a densely populated area in a neighborhood with, you know, houses 10, 15 you know, feet apart. And every once in a while, there's a wandering bear who comes into their neighborhood and rifles through someone's garbage. So wildlife is an actual concern for people. And that is another very valid reason that someone might own a gun. There's also the cases of you know women and single mothers, um, many of whom might have escaped an abusive relationship, and they want to protect themselves against that abuser um, and their children. Some people own firearms uh, for, for far less uh, you know, depressing reasons. They, they like shooting the shooting sports like skeet and trap and sporting clays. Um, you know, target practice, uh, with kids is, is really fun. And many families hunt and enjoy outdoor sports. Um, and, and, you know, for these families, a lot of them want to carry on those traditions of teaching their children how to safely handle and use firearms. But then, of course, there are parents who do not want guns in their houses. They don't want their kids to use them. They don't want their kids to touch them. Um, We should respect both sets of parents um, and how these parents choose to raise their kids. And no matter what your position is on gun ownership and gun rights, everyone, even children, should learn about gun safety. That is a critical component of raising kids is teaching them about gun safety and owners of guns need to learn gun safety as well and proper storage. So here to talk to me about this and hopefully, hopefully we'll get to some fun uh, mom topics as well is one of my favorite people in the world, Dana Lash. Dana, of course, needs no introduction. She is a mom, a hugely popular radio host, a best-selling author, an advocate for the Second Amendment, and an all-around total badass. She is one of the bravest women I know. Dana, thanks for coming on. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for, for having me, Julie. And it's it's good to be with you. I'm so excited that we actually get to talk because we what? see each other usually at like industry events. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So awesome. Exactly. And I think the I think the last time we saw Joe's CPAC, of course, and um, and it's, mm. there's always a thousand people around. So I I want I definitely want to tell there's some stuff in the news, breaking news. H.R. 8 just passed and we'll talk about that. But, you know, you're a homeschooler. And I also want to talk about that. So it's going to be, I feel like it's going to be hard to keep this, um, you know, to like a normal podcast amount of time, because I do feel like there's a thousand things I want to talk to you about. But Mm -hmm. for the listeners, uh, for the listeners who might not be as familiar, I am definitely, you know, obviously, and, you know, there are millions of people who are familiar with your story. Um, But for those people who aren't familiar specifically with how 
you, you know, you got involved in sort of the Second Amendment and the gun rights issue. Did you grow up shooting? And and then the, you know, there's people who are like are, are interested in the gun issue or actually participate in and and shooting sports, uh, you know, sports and that kind of stuff. But at what point did you start to advocate for gun owners? That's a yeah, that's a that's a good question. And um, you know, my so all of my family. I mean, we grew up with guns. Um, I grew up with guns. My mom kept a 38 uh, in her nightstand and she didn't have any kind of biometric safe or anything like that to keep it in. She just had this, um, this face that looked like an Eagle that she made when she would get mad. And you never, that was, that was basically our biometric. I mean, I never wanted that, that expression looking at me. Um, but no, we, we, I grew up with firearms and, um, all my family's from Southern Missouri and my, um, all of my older cousins are mostly boys. And then it's like every, our family decided to have the girls in yeah. and my grandpa, they would, you know, be outside and the older boys rough and tumble. And they would, um, he, I mean, he would let them, uh, shoot his 22 or, you know, he, they would all have their BB guns and they would, uh, pick off little army men or soda cans or right. the, um, yoo-hoo cans, things like that. <laughs> and it looks like fun. And so I wanted to do it. And my family are, they're also huge hunters. And, you know, my family today were huge hunters. And uh, my grandfather went out all the time. He was an avid outdoorsman. He loved being outside. He liked being outside more than he liked being inside. And um, he, they would, they would dress everything in the backyard and I would watch and, you know, I, I was just always very, it was just fascinating. And it was interesting. And they just always included us. And um, my grandpa just saw me watching my cousins long enough. And so he, I, the first time I ever, uh, shot a rifle was with my grandfather and in, in his backyard. And I just, it, it didn't seem anything different or out of the ordinary. It's just, you know, that's how life was. I mean, they lived, I mean, literally out in the sticks, they had a party line up until, Oh my goodness. The late nineties. And for people who don't know what that is, like for the millennials, the, I, I'm a baby Gen Xer, So the millennials out there. Uh, you, that's when everybody had the same line and you would pick up the phone to call somebody and every, there's a conversation and you would just have to wait until it was free. They had now, that they, now, like the now they call that, now they call that clubhouse, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's right. Now that's coming back. It's just three packets, just clubhouse. It's amazing right, right. how that comes back. So that's how, that's how we started. And so, you know, right. then growing up and, you know, going to, going to school, going to college, um, as a young woman, it didn't really, you know, I didn't really have time to, to be, uh, to, to hunt at all. And I didn't have time to go outdoors. I was working two jobs and going to college full time. So I had no life. And I just like, I always supported the second amendment. And I always, I just never, it's weird because you don't really think about the rights that you have yeah. until there is something usually negative that happens that causes you to really evaluate your priorities and really value those rights. And for me, it was when I started getting involved in uh, radio. And we, when I got married, we had firearms in the house and yeah. never, you know, we, and we have kids and we kept things, uh, uh, store, usually we stored things in, in a safe in our closet. And it wasn't until I wrote a column with the daily newspaper, I was a columnist there in St. Louis, and I was just, I mentioned it kind of in passing, just about um, uh, firearms, and I was talking about parenting. 
but people got aggravated there. They got really mad about it because they didn't think the, the prevailing thought was, well, you can't be a parent and also have firearms in your house, which I thought, well, I, you know, that's kind of the reason why I do, because my <laughs> husband sometimes travels right. to work and I write from home. Uh, that was even before I got into radio. And I'm like, so, you know, there's sometimes when I'm home for like half a week by my, you know, by myself and we live in the city. So, yeah, kind of, you know, kind of would like to be able to have that to, for yeah. self-defense. And that kicked off this like firestorm of controversy. And I ended up um, doing a uh, morning show on radio and then I got into radio. And then that's when it really kicked into gear. Because yeah. you go into media, as you know this, and then it's like you put a proverbial target on your back, yeah, so to exactly. speak. And yeah. I, I think when, when we had people come to the house the first time, that's when I thought, oh, my gosh. Like, I, it, it, it was different from hunting, and it was different from the way that I had always just sort of passively viewed my rights. It was, wow, I really do have to, I really do need this for self-defense. And I had the uh, former police chief over in St. Louis tell me, you, you need to get your concealed carry license. Now, I grew right. up shooting rifles, and I didn't have a lot of experience with handguns. Right. So I was, was in my 20s starting from scratch, basically, with handguns. And um, uh, it, it, kind of went for, it kind of went from there. And I wanted to be as knowledgeable as I could about how they worked and about what I was going to carry because I, you know, there's a lot of confidence that comes from knowledge. And I just, I wanted to know absolutely everything about it. And I wanted to know the best way to carry. I wanted, you know, everything. And um, I just uh, asked as many people as I could. And I got into the range as often as my life and my kids would allow me to. And I just, I kind of went from there and I started speaking out about it more. And that's, that's kind of how everything started. Um, And then our kids, you know, we educated our kids in the best way to, uh, you know, if you come across something that is that is you know left out, uh, that uh, that apparently leaves out that that they shouldn't have. This is what you. This is how you need to react. And we, you know, we we demystified that when they were young, so that they did not have this curiosity that could lead to something negative happening. Yeah, um, yeah. And so we armed them with that knowledge, so to speak. And that's how well, it started. You know, it's interesting that you talk about your experience and you know, obviously being threatened. And having people, you know, um, you know, having having the police chief saying, you know, you need to get your concealed carry, all of this stuff. I mean, it's your experience. The, a lot of people don't experience that. I talked to, you know, in my intro where I said, you know, there's there's another reason some people may have firearms, and that's because they live in a very rural area, and there are wild animals, right? <laughs> like that's one thing. And people mm, yeah. in sort of, you know, in in an urban setting, like I, I mean, I know you live, you know, you live in in know, a more urban area. Um, And, you know, I do too. And I find that a lot of the people around me, so I've written a lot about living in this deep blue city, where it's not just that people that you're frowned upon, if you own Mm -hmm. guns, like, they don't even talk about guns. And it is you are sort of bullied and isolated and made to feel like an alien if you own guns. So it is of it's very, I mean, when you talk about their, you know, some people who grew up, you know, understanding gun culture, there is none of that here. People think it that guns are entirely unnecessary and don't consider it's, you know, that some people really do have valid reasons. I mean, I think you should be able to own a gun no matter what your reason is, but they won't even consider some of, you know, what they, what any normal rational person would see as a valid reason. And I, right. I, 
I think though, and also my, in my community, you know, Moms Demand and these organizations, these anti-gun organizations are very active. And, you know, we learned today that HR 8, and I want to talk to you about that, just passed. And this is this, you know, increasing sort of background checks on private, um, you know, for instance, if a family member, um, you know, asked to borrow a gun or if you loan a gun to somebody. But And I want to talk to you more about that. But I think sometimes the misinformation is intentional among these groups. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because if I am if I am someone who grows up or who lives in, for instance, my neighborhood where guns aren't talked about, nobody owns guns or at least admits it. There isn't really, you know, hunting culture or any of that. And, you know, you're not going to see kids in the backyard, you know, pinging off cans or, you know, shooting guns Um, there. Mm. There's this. Like, why in the world would anyone need that? And then when you see the misinformation coming out from these groups, um, you know, I've I've had a school board member in my town tell me that anybody can walk into a gun store and buy a machine gun. I once heard a neighborhood mom say, you know, I was at a PTA meeting and she said it's easier to buy a gun than a loaf of bread. I mean, this stuff is passed off as fact, right? And none of that mm. is cor- none of that is corrected by you know the only so-called authorities on guns, the moms mom demand groups, right? They never correct that information, and I think that's the point that because right. when legis- when legislation comes down the pike, like HR eight, you know, more background checks, um, of course you're going to get behind that if you think that you don't have to go through any kind of a background check to buy to legally purchase a weapon, so you know, or, or a, a, a firearm. So tell me. I mean, one thing I would love to hear, um, you know, and I think a lot of people are confused about this, is sort of walk me through the background check process. Like, what is, you know, I guess answer the question. Can anyone, you know, is it easier to buy a gun than a loaf of bread? No, that's, I mean, I've never, <laughs> never had to it's go very, through any very... of that to buy bread. <laughs> and, and, and if I make my own bread... And right, I, right. you know, wanted to sell massive amounts of bread that I made. I don't have to go and get a license for it either. <laughs> it's that's that's a that's such a reductive and insipid um, analogy. And I don't know why they feel like they need to talk down to women. But let's let's figure out something that women know. Bread, you know, let's compare yeah, yeah. it to that. I mean, and but it and is, HR eight. It's yes, such a, as you mentioned, this, it, this is such a dangerous piece of legislation because I don't even think it's it's not even. Um, it's, it's not even actually expanding background checks. It's criminalizing private transfers, right. which there's no evidence at all whatsoever to suggest that any kind of increase in criminality that is done, any criminal act that's done in commission with a firearm, there's no evidence to support. In fact, it, there's evidence contrary uh, that argues against that it's, you know, these individuals that are these criminals, these prohibited possessors that are getting these firearms through legal private transfers. I mean, they've done surveys of incarcerated felons and the felons say it's a straw purchaser. We steal it. I mean, that's, you know, the biggest yeah. thing. And sadly, where it concerns straw purchases, I mean, you're essentially falsifying your information on a 4473, which can be a felony. And there we're not even really prosecuting all of those. But the, the problem with HR8 is you're expanding an already faulty system. And right. that's what a lot of people don't really, uh, you know, people who are not as familiar with it as they should be. They don't realize this. And I was actually talking about this on my program today after the news came out that this went through the House, and I don't know how it's going to fare in the Senate. But, um, I mean, when you have employers that conduct background checks, 
you have an employer that has to use more information to make sure that they are looking at the right person to evaluate you as a worthy prospective employee, more so than what the ATF looks at. I mean, the ATF, it's suggested that you provide your social security number, but that's a formality. It's not necessarily required, nor is it really necessarily used to evaluate whether someone can even go and buy a gun. So that's insane that an employer actually takes more time and looks at more information than the ATF does when evaluating whether or not you are a lawful uh, carrier or a purchaser. And I mean, that's we're, this is a natural right versus something that is not a natural right. right. You don't have a natural right to employment with somewhere. So that's the, the fact that all of these people that claim that they care so much about the system, they won't even do the, the minimal amount to kind of improve this overburdened and faulty system is is a problem. But the straw purchases, you know, when people are lying about who they're buying it for, or the purpose, we're not even prosecuting those, I think. And there's been a lot of right. articles about this. But I mean, you have, uh, in addition to this, you know, the the lack of this identifying information creates thousands of false positives. So you have, I mean, James O'Keefe, he tried to purchase a firearm and that kickback is a false positive. They only, they only go by whether names are similar and birth dates. And that's kind of how they evaluate it. So you have millions of people that are initially denied a right uh, because of this false positive that this faulty system spits out. And then of that, I think one year they reduced it down to 44, actually, who shouldn't have been allowed or who falsified. And then they had of that, only six of them were, were actual felons, prohibited possessors that were dumb enough to actually fill out a form. Yeah. Um, but then they only prosecute a fraction of those. So, but they still don't answer the question of, so when these regulations fail to stop the bad guys, what's the, what's the backup plan to that? Because criminals, if they're, if they're going to want guns, if they're going to get a gun, they're going to get a gun. It just means that a law-abiding person is going to have to take more time. That's exactly right. None of this is meaningful change. None of this is meaningful in terms of stopping the, you know, 300 people in Chicago who, you know, died over the weekend and, you know, children that are caught in crossfire um, on the streets. None of this is going to change that. You know, there's another bill. Yeah. Go on. I was going to add just real quick that those private transfers are already federally regulated. So all there's, I mean, there's a reason why, that's the reason why there's a penalty. If you buy a handgun in one state and go across state lines to your state of residence, there's a reason why there's a penalty for that, because that stuff is already federally regulated. So I feel like, you know, just to touch on a point that you made, you said that, you know, either they're they're purposefully misleading, they they are, I mean, they act like these laws don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another bill that's working its way through 1446. Tell me about how that will, It you know, there you hear, you, you read oh, the boy. media. Um, yeah, you read the media report. So, you know, this will, this is, this will stop the, the, the loophole that, you know, allowed this shooter to get a gun or that shooter to get a gun. But tell me, I mean, this is um, taking away, it really will delay per, and mm-hmm. potentially permanently people's ability to get a gun. Tell me a little bit about that bill. No, I think that you you hit the nail on the head. It does. A right delayed is a right denied. Yes. And so uh, HR 1446, this this legislation is is based on the false premise about the Charleston massacre that this right. particular murderer was able to purchase a firearm because of a loophole. Well, there isn't a loophole. There's there's no there. Everything is so completely regulated. There are no loopholes. The FBI didn't need more days to accurately identify that this individual was a prohibited possessor in their custody. What they needed was a competent director and to not follow idiotic protocol for verifying applicants. And that's the thing, because 
that when they used the NICS system and, and they actually only just in 2018, I think it was in July 2018, did they finally start using what's called index in hyphen DEX. And that's a more comprehensive criminal database that it was created in 2008, but it contains a lot more information than the NICS system does. Mm-hmm. So NICS, they, when they were running, running these uh, background checks, I mean, these individuals, they're not allowed to act to, they, they have policies that ban Google searches. So you can't that, and that's what happened in this instance, this individual would have been stopped immediately. If, if the individual running the check was able to actually verify the arresting County in his previous felony drug charge, and that he was already a prohibited possessor before he ever bought the gun that he used in the massacre. But because they, they were only limited to certain things to use. They couldn't identify the arresting the department in the county. And so he was, and it was FBI error. That wasn't a loophole. That was FBI error. And so this, there are the 10 day waiting period. So what 1446 does is it it extends the time that you're waiting for a background check. Well, that doesn't do anything. If the system's faulty, you're going to, it's not going to do anything. Um, You have to be able to use all the tools at your disposal. And like I said, he would have been able to, you know, be stopped instantly if they, if it wasn't a human error on this. But, you know, to that point, when you talk about how this has such an impact on people, I always go back to this awful story. And I know that there are more like this, uh, but uh, I I, I made mention of this online today. And uh, who was it? I think it was Representative Heiss who was on the floor talking about this. And uh, this journalist with Vox said, well, you know, it sounds like if you're that much afraid uh, for your life that you need to be able to access a firearm like right now that night that you should call the police. Well, it was an interesting narrative because I thought we were defunding the police. Defunding the police. We've gone from, yeah, defunding the police to, well, call the police. Yeah, exactly. Even then, Castle Rock, Gonzalez, you don't have to. The police are not obligated to save your life. And the average response time is anywhere from 10 to 18 minutes. So you've got to basically pray for 10 minutes. Um, But that's, uh, my gun is going to be there before police are there. I've had, I wasn't home at the time, thankfully, but I had somebody who really did not like me that tried to break into my home. And I had Fort Worth police call and our neighbors were calling the police. And my husband said, you know, if my wife had been home or if I had been home, we were doing kid stuff. Uh, he goes, this would have been a very different call. Yeah. And yeah. Fort Worth said, yeah, we know that. We're very well aware because, <laughs> you know, my gun's there before the cops are. Right, but right. Um, there's a story in 2015 in New Jersey, a woman named Carol Brown was trying to get away from a very, very abusive ex-boyfriend. And she went and she followed every rule, every piece of protocol. She followed everything that New Jersey told her to follow. And she filled out her paperwork dutifully. And she waited that 30-day waiting period, which on average, those periods are even longer than advertised Mm. in New Jersey. It actually is more towards two months. And as she was waiting for the state to acknowledge her lawful right to carry a gun, she was stabbed to death in her driveway by that violent ex-boyfriend. And they and he took advantage of the state's waiting yeah. period to murder her outside. And now, so and, and now, mm-hmm. and now, you said what is so enraging about this is HR eight. So let's say Carol Brown had a friend, right, or a family yep. member who w- could say, "Look, I'm going to loan you this." You know, her older brother, younger brother, whatever cousin, I'm going to loan you this handgun just until you get through this, until you get you know yep. your 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 background check. Now that is that is not an option. This is anti-woman. This is anti, these kinds of, these measures are fundamentally anti-woman 
And and I don't understand where. I mean, of course, I understand where the women's groups are. Right? Um, they're staying quiet for for the current administration. But this is so tragic that you have cases like this where, okay, she still might have been able to get some, uh, you know, a firearm to protect herself through a family member, but no more, no more. No, no more. No. And, and I think you, you're spot on with this being anti-woman. I mean, I think that these sorts of gun laws are discriminatory in nature anyway, yes, because yes. they, they are biased against the groups that need them the most. Yes. And, 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 and another, and another group of them who, and, and another group that's going to fall victim to the defund the police group is the African-American community, people who live in urban settings. We, I, on this podcast, actually last week, um, I interviewed Sylvia Bennett Stone, who works with the Woodson Center, and she is trying to get the word out. Sylvia's 17-year-old daughter was caught in crossfire mm-hmm. and killed um, I think about 18 years ago, it might, might be 17 years ago, but it, it, it tra- a tragic, tragic event in her life. And she is trying to say, you know, if there had been a police presence at that gas station where her daughter was standing, when these young men got in a fight, her daughter might be alive mm-hmm. today. And she is yeah. so appalled. She is so appalled by the defund the police movement. And it was funny when I interviewed her, I said, you know, Sylvia, I, um, you know, I've never experienced what you've experienced for one thing. And secondly, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in communities where, cause I live in a very safe area. And I said, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in, in, um, you know, living in an area that has a lot of crime. And then I told her, it occurred to me that neither do the people who are demanding de- the, the defunding the police. It's all people who mm. live in comfortable areas, you know, uh, that are, you know, city council members who have uh, houses in very, you know, either gated communities or safe areas of a city. And so what's so sad is so many of these measures are, are, are going to really harm the most vulnerable, the people who really do need to protect themselves. It's just tragic. Yeah, that kind of, that, that goes right into McDonald's issue. Chicago, because Otis McDonald, who is a, who, yep. by the way, is a, is a uh, natural rights. I don't say civil because you know these the, he does he's not granted these rights by anyone, but a natural rights icon. And you know this this is a an older gentleman. He was like in his seventies, I think. He's passed away since, but he um, lived in Chicago. He lived in uh, I, I forget where I think Morgan Park, but he lived in Chicago, and he was tired of seeing his neighborhood he watched it from going from you know to this peaceful uh, neighborhood to being taken over by gangs and robberies and uh, he watched as people he knew were robbed and he had hunted he was an exp- he knew his way around firearms he was experienced um but he had to fight the city for his right and 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 that's the thing you know when whether it's a rural community or whether it's you know in in the city uh individuals need to be able to protect themselves. And it's always, I mean, it's always the people that need them the most that these policies, these restrictive policies, they hit them the hardest. And the, the, the HR eight, the, uh, the uh, background of the criminalization of private transfers by having universal background checks too. This is something else. They're treating everyone like a de facto FFL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what, 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 Democrats aren't answering in, in this legislation is, okay, so does, do all, is everyone going to have to have a license or is everyone, because you are, is everyone going to be able to access the system? Cause so far uh, you got to have that license or be in yeah. law enforcement to even do that. And then you have to have a, a, a certain type of license to do that. Or are you asking people, because in some states it's actually kind of expensive and it can become prohibitively so yeah. to go to a gun store or another FFL and, and do a transfer and process it. I mean, that can be quite expensive. So 
it is it's economically discriminatory. I think it is anti-woman. I think it's anti-minority because gun control has its racist roots going back to Roger Taney yes. and, the, and the Dred Scott decision in St. Louis. Um, so, I, I mean, it, the people who've always been on the wrong side of history are still on the wrong side of history with us. You know, I want to pivot a little bit to mom, sort of the mom issue here and, and sort of because I think I, I, I sometimes feel overwhelmed and I don't know how to react to some of the things that I see in my community. Um, and I don't know. Also, sometimes people come to me in my community and say, you know, how do I get more information on this or that? And I do my best. But, you know, again, I live in a deep blue city. Um, where there is no gun culture. People just generally don't talk about it. And you've got a very active mom's demand sort of community here. And yeah. look, they are, they are, I think most people know sort of Shannon Watts and her sort of approach to things, which is bullying and, you know, and making people feel, you know, bad. And there's no conversation, there's no argument. And that's sort of what I have seen, sadly, from a lot of um, the folks in my community. And so, but then you get women who sort of quietly come up to you and say, you know, I, I'd like I'd like some information on concealed carry. I'm interested in getting one. I have a friend who's, um, uh, you know, who's involved in real estate and she's, you know, and I'm sorry, my dog is now going crazy. Um, who's inter- involved in, re- in involved in real estate, and she gets nervous going into these homes. Um, you know, I have a uh, a person who's asked me. You know, my teen my teenage son is, you know, interested in possibly, you know, getting involved in in some, you know, you know, sporting clays, or he'd like to shoot some trap. Like, you know, so what do you tell people who don't live in an area? Um, you know, what resources are, are out there? I know NRA does some great stuff, but, you know, more than just for little kids, like what, what advice would you give someone um, where, you know, there's no shooting range in my community. There's no sort of support. There's no clubs. Um, even the, oh you know, God. there's even, even the Boy Scouts don't do it as much um, in this community. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, you know, is there something that you would, you know, any advice you would give to someone? On, on this. Perhaps less realistically, I would say, well, you need to move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, wait. I know I know. I should like to answer. But honestly, Dana, I spent an unhealthy amount of time on Zillow and real estate, like, you know, apps, scrolling through yeah. things that, yeah. So, yes. Okay. But minus moving. Okay. Let's right. minus yes. moving. Minus that. Minus that. Um, you know, I, there used to be a number of schools. Well, I don't even think, I think a lot of schools don't even have them anymore. I know in Texas, here in Texas, we do, but there, there are, there used to be rifle teams right. and in absence of rifle teams, you used to be able to have, you know, like 4-H or do something like that. Uh, yeah. uh, scouts used to do it. As far as, you know, women are concerned when my mom wanted to go and get a, her concealed carry license and she wanted to, uh, buy her very first like non-revolver handgun. Um, I, I told her, I suggested to her to check out the well-armed woman, which I love the work that Carrie Lightfoot, all those ladies do because they are such an asset because my mom lives in St. Louis and, you know, here I am in Dallas. So I couldn't really, you know, get to her as easily, but they had a chapter at the gun range that was my home gun range when we lived up there. And so my mom went there and she was able to, uh, meet up with some of the well-armed women and uh, find a really good, not that she had anything good against the male instructors, but women carry differently from men. And she wanted to 
learn the and and the basics from someone who would carry like she did and who would understand some of the concerns that she had because they experienced those and and were active in figuring out you know best practices for it and she like grew in her confidence and her know-how and um, it, which is, which is awesome. And she, she, she loves the empowerment, the real true empowerment that comes from knowing that you have the ability, uh, the skill set, and the confidence to carry that skill set out should you need to, to keep yourself and your family safe. And it, I, I think it reduces the fear and it's, um, but it's been great for her, but that's one of the first things that I would say to, to women out there is you need to find a, a well-armed woman chapter and, uh, join up with those ladies. That's yeah. a great thing. And I know the NRA has Eddie the Eagle and there, there are other um, programs geared towards kids. But it really is mm. kind of um, sad around here when people and I think they do truly believe that the only the only thing, you know, the only thing they want to talk about is uh, when it comes to guns is that how unnecessary they are, how they shouldn't even be talked about, how they shouldn't even be seen. <laughs> and I think, in fact, I worry about those parents. I worry about children yeah. who, because I think knowledge and understanding, you know, safe use of guns, safe storage, you know, I think too, since COVID, we know, we know that, that people are buying more firearms. I mean, the, the oh, data yeah. on that is, and is defund the police call started. Yes, exactly. And you know, what's interesting too, is I just read an article in Forbes, I think it was yesterday about how every time people, you know, when the, when the checks go out, the support checks go out, um, uh, the gun sales go up. So I think people are spending some of that money because they feel, you know, with police forces. Also, it's, it's not just to fund the police. It's that the police, I think, you know, are feeling like reticent to, to um you know be maybe as aggressive in 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 certain you know maybe if there's a domestic violence call or something like that i feel like people are worried that the police might not respond in the way that they need them to so i think that's why people are you know purchasing more firearms um you know i also i also think that um but i worry also about kids you know this sort of kids who um you know heaven forbid they come across one you know uh, the complete ignorance of these things and not being told like, you know, the rules about this, like the Eddie the Eagle program and other safety programs, like you need to teach your kids about, you know, yeah. what to do if they come across a gun, not just yeah. not talk and about it. NSSF has some great programs with that yes. too. They have That's right. different um, team, uh, videos and they also have Project Child Safe, which is great. And I always recommend Project Child Safe to the friends of mine, especially when my kids were a lot younger that they wanted to pretend that guns didn't exist, but they knew that they really couldn't. So, um, and then finally, when they were moved to, you know, they felt uh, prevailed upon to finally get their first firearm because they would see crime going up or the yep. police calls. I was like, well, get training and also, you know, check out Project Child Safe too with NSSF. But there, I mean, there are, there are a lot of good options, but honestly, still the best thing I think is an engaged parent because I always tell every, you know, I always tell everybody I know, what your kid does not learn inside your home, they will learn outside of it. And I, just as you would teach your kid not to run out on the highway or touch a burning pot or a hot pot or anything like that. I mean, these are basic common sense life skills. Yeah. And I think knowledge about firearms, even if you are a parent is entirely opposed to guns and, and they have the right to do that. You know, they have the yeah, right yeah. to, to yeah. Not, not support it. Um, but I still think it is incredibly important that kids have that, have anything about firearms demystified and that they understand yes. that there's no backspace key. There's no undoing it. There's, you know, this is, this is what this is and, and educate them on 
this is proper handling. This is how this is done. Yeah. Um, and so that way they don't, you, you don't have to worry if they're at someone else's house and you don't have to worry about how your child would react should someone else not be as maybe as responsible as you are with stuff. You know, I'm glad you brought up the net, um, the NSSF. I want to just mention that that is the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Dana is absolutely right. Look them up. They have great programs, not just for kids, too. So um, that that's I'm glad that that you mentioned that, you know, you mentioned, you know, if a child goes um, to another person's house and I want to just, I I actually really want to talk about homeschooling and we'll get that to to that in just a sec, but I have one more question. You know, the moms demand action has this, do you have guns in the house campaign? Right. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and the point is, is it encourages moms to ask questions, ask that question Mm -hmm. before allowing their children to come over. And I always feel like, and, and, you know, living in this community, I feel like that is, it's not really intended to educate or, um, you know, to check on things. I think it's a way to isolate families, gun-owning families in certain communities. No, I think so, too. Yeah, and it's a way to shame yeah, them. And I, and I actually wrote and about it is. this. It, it, yeah. I, it, and it, I have to say, not to interrupt you, but I no, no. get so sad no. about this particular thing because I, I look at it like this. Um, I, I, I will not, you know, I'm fine. We you know however, whatever makes parents feel comfortable is fine. Um, but I, I also don't think that anyone who knows less than a very informed woman about firearms and her Second Amendment rights, anyone that knows less than that woman should not be dictating policy or what she does or does not do inside of her home and with her kids. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I feel you on that. Yeah, I, I this was uh, I could I, I swear I could go off on this tangent for hours, but there was uh, the Moms Demand Action chapter in my town and the PTA, which, by the way, the national someone needs to do like a really um, investigation into the PTA because that organization has go, gone so far left and their national policy, it, you know, they they basically want more restrictive gun laws. They, you know, you name it, you know, it's it's basically they. Be, I feel like they become an arm of of um, Moms Demand, and it's very frustrating. But in my town, and I'm not saying that of all PTJ. PTA chapters, but certainly the national PTA endorses all of this. And my PTA, my particular PTA um, uh, in my town co-hosted with the Moms Demand chapter, this gun safety event, which was, um, it it ended up being kind of comical to watch, um, Mm -hmm. mostly because they lifted the NSSF, you know, um, Project Child Safe entirely, and then kind of got certain things wrong. So it was it was kind of amusing to watch. Um, but you know, I think that that, like I said, that it was really um, they used that sort of "Do you have a firearm in your home?" as a way to mm. um, to sort of it's almost like a mini registry to identify who has the firearm and uh, and sort of isolate that family or make that family in in certain communities. And it's it's really depressing because I think that it is important. That and and this again, it this is why it's so important to teach children about gun safety because, like you said, there's no back button. And if they if they see something and they're not educated, or they find a gun and they're not educated and they don't understand, that is extremely dangerous. So I just really hope that parents who might be you know anti firearm and they are all excited about HR eight and HR fourteen forty six. I hope that they at least are teaching their children and um, these safety measures, because I think too often it's like, I'm against, and we're not going to talk about guns. Mm -hmm. And that really frightens me. But um, I'd be more with some of these moms demand, I think, and, and, and to this point, 
uh, I think that some of the members of Moms Demand, I think, concern me more than what law-abiding parents do when they oh, when they have firearms. What was it in Harris County? They had that one. Uh, uh, she was the uh, I think it was the the leader of the Texas chapter. Yeah. She ended up actually getting charged with disorderly conduct because oh, yeah. she was screaming at two young girls in a cookie store because they were wearing Trump shirts. And oh my God, that's right. With, she was screaming um, slang for women's genitalia that I will not repeat uh, in polite oh, company God. on this podcast. It's uh, a family-friendly uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, and she was this woman <laughs> no. was one of the was one of the heads of it, and and I've seen you know they I, I've watched as bombs demand they try to ironically uh, advocate for disarmament of women by actually trying to collude with abusers to do so. I oh, mean, 100%. there's a whole story there too. Uh, yes, yes, there so, is. Yes, there yeah, is. Yeah, I mean this that uh, that to me is and and I'm glad that you mentioned that they ripped off Project Child Safe. They ripped off yeah. Project Child Safe and then while they were giving this this demonstration about firearms, they ended up flagging everyone in the room uh, and watching some of the video for that. So it's like they're people who are leading the safe handling and safe storage actually needed lessons on it. Yeah, well, and and in the uh, in the lobby at my event, my PTA event, they had um, I should say joint event. They had um, gun locks in the lobby that they were just saying, hey, take one, take one, which was hilarious because, you know, I thought they didn't want us to have guns, but fine. And the locks were just like a generic lock. They don't even fit. They're not, you have to have a lock oh, that fits boy. the firearm. So they were handing things, yes. things out like refrigerator magnets. And I'm sitting there and I'm asking, I said, you know, hey, uh, what does this fit? Which gun? Is this for a Glock? Is this for, like, I'm asking questions. And of course, like, you know, they get this like sort of, you know, scared look on their face. And I'm like, this is not safe to give out to people to suggest it will. It's just, this is like what we're dealing with here. You know, they don't, they don't know anything. And again, I feel like, I feel like that was actually unintentional. Like they didn't, cause they didn't know, but I feel like that group intentionally misinforms so that when legislation comes down, like HR eight, people are like, Oh, since it's as easy to buy a gun as it is a loaf of bread and anyone, even felons can buy guns, then wow, we need this. It's just intentional. It's, it's, creating a need when there isn't it's creating this false sense that there's a need when there's no need at all so Dean I love exactly. talking to you about this stuff but I cannot I this is purely personal I like want to have a conversation about this because I am homeschooling this year it is my first year but you you you've done this for years uh, uh, you, did you st- I did yeah you, yeah I want to hear because see it's so interesting I feel like it's the, it's very like the end thing to do now everybody's homeschooling right but you've done mm. it. You did it for years. So why did you do it? Wait, what, what, in you know, what happened or what made you think, okay, I'm going to homeschool my kids. I'm always interested in people's sort of stories. I can't remember uh, where it was that I read it. <laughs> my memory is failing me now as to who actually <laughs> said it, but something like the first seven years of a child's life, that's when you really reinforce their character and you set in stone, that foundation that's going to kind of shape how they grow and who they are for the rest of their lives. And for the most impressionable years of my children's lives, I'm like, I, you know, I am the parent. I carry these children for nine months. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I, we were up with these kids. (laughs) We, as their parents are going to be the biggest influences in their lives until they become their own adults. And they're, they're able to handle things on their own. And I, um, I also think that, you know, as a parent, one of our jobs is to, you know, find that skill that our kids are blessed with and have them 
you know, nurture them and um, help them recognize it and just act as a facilitator so that they can do what they need to do to grow with that. Yeah. Um, and um, just because I, you know, I, I enjoy being with them and we, we joined oh. a co-op in Missouri. And so from my oldest was homeschooled up until eighth grade. And then when we moved to Texas, uh, we, 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 the church that we went to, my son was interested in checking out this, uh, Christian school. So we, we did, and he wanted to go there. And then my youngest son was like, not going to get left out. So he was, <laughs> he was home educated for less amount of time than my oldest one was, but he was up until about, uh, fourth grade. Oh, and then they went to their Christian school. My oldest son is in college now. He's going into law. Oh. Uh, so which it makes, Makes some sense. My youngest thinks that college is, in a, is a racket, and he thinks that uh, he's my, my national Latin scholar, and oh. he's an honor roll kid, and he thinks oh. that honor roll is dumb because it's just conditioning kids for acceptable behavior, uh, and it doesn't mean anything when you're an adult. And he's, he's hysterical, so he's going to go and be a computer programmer. That's what he wants to do. He has his life all planned out. But, um, no, we did it. And they're, they're very, I mean, my kids are immovable mountains, uh, which is good. And that's what we wanted. We wanted kids who knew the difference between right and wrong, who, yep. uh, you know, honored their parents and, 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 tra- and treated others kindly and stick up for those who need defending Aww. and defend their ideals and to be absolutely immovable when everyone else was malleable. And, so that's what that's what we focused on, and um, you know I'm really proud of the the young men that they're becoming. But and they're also super smart. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I mean, and not and not everyone can do it, and it's definitely not for everybody. But if if you know if people can and it is for them, I mean, it's you know family know families know how to how to best. They do. Um, they do. And you know, and I and, and I think and, it's, I and think, the lessons are so fun. Well, I think what well they are so fun, but I will say one thing. I think that since I just started this year, you know, I've come into a homeschooling environment that was, um, has really advanced, it's really developed. There's a lot now that sort of provide you with a lot of guidance. And when I talk to people who I've, you know, I've talked to, when I was going through sort of this journey to decide, I was talking to some women who, you know, did it way back in the eighties and nineties, you know, and homeschooling their kids that are now my age. And, you know, they said that there weren't these sort of sets of curriculum. They sort of had to, you know, put it together themselves. And so it was a lot harder. So I always mention to people that homeschooling, there are what they call school in a box. You know, it's like it comes with the entire curriculum and a guidebook and it really helps you through it. So it's, I feel like people who did it years ago, even 10 years ago, didn't have as many resources. But I think homeschooling has taken off to a point now that they make it much easier on people who want to start. So I hope, you know, I hope more people look into this. And I I think you're right. It's not for everybody. But I think there are an awful lot of people who think it'll be too hard. Um, But they there are systems out there that make it very easy. I appreciate you coming on this parenting podcast. It means a lot. No, this is, this is good. Fun discussion, Julie. I enjoyed it. Um, well, and I hope you'll come back on. Certainly the Biden administration will be giving us a lot to talk about in the gun space. So um, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope, I hope to have you. <laughs> I hope to have you on again soon. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, Julie. Take care. You know, I, I mentioned several times on the, during the discussion with Dana, um, that in my community, you know, you just don't talk about guns. It's just not something even, even there's even reluctance to, for kids to play with guns. 
Um, you know, I always get nervous when the kids take their Nerf guns up to the school or up to this park near our house. I get kind of nervous because that's the culture up here. It's just, um, you know, guns are just frowned upon in every form. Um, so it's interesting. I was reading this. Um, I was reading this article um, a couple days ago, and I. <laughs> It was a. It was really interesting. They showed a picture, of um, of very little kids, probably in kindergarten, first grade. And the picture was from 1925. And the article was saying that it was a scene from Hobby Fair at Burroughs Elementary School, which is somewhere in Minneapolis. And again, this is 1925. And what the hobby fair was, was it was like show and tell. It was an opportunity for the kids to share their hobbies with their classmates. So the image shows one little girl on the end painting. There's another little girl decorating a cake. Another little boy is tinkering with a radio set. But then there's this little boy in the middle who is clearly showing off his firearm collection. He has a couple of firearms. And he's holding up what, it, what looks like a rifle. And so it's kind of a shocking picture. I mean, when I saw it, I was sort of shocked. Now, the, the person who wrote this story said, you know, it could have been a Red Ryder BB gun, you know, like the one in A Christmas Story. But who knows? And that doesn't really matter because the idea of bringing in either a real firearm or, a, um, or even a, a toy gun into a classroom today is so foreign a concept and not just like in dense area you know densely populated urban areas i'm talking about anywhere in the country that is just such a no-no it's just very interesting to think of how the culture has changed towards guns and how sort of um how it's become this you know it's verboten um of course on a school grounds and i'm not saying that's bad like i don't really want kids running in the you know into the classroom with a gun but um you know certainly a little boy showing off you know either a toy or um or a real gun um maybe he hunts with his father seems a little bit young to be doing that um but it does show again how far that we have gone um so i really thank dana for coming on and and chatting on that issue and on gun safety, um, gun storage, and um, and other issues of um, of concerns, particularly with the legislation that just passed this week. Thanks everyone for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify. Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.